I eat a plate every single day, sometimes twice. I do about 30. It's about 35 plates a month, not including breakfast. Like I'll go out maybe 25 times or 20 times a month breakfast. And I dump the meat. I get a little side of meat sauce and dump it on the eggs. It's only on the eggs, but, but I do a plate every day, 35 a month, 50 years. I'm celebrating 50 years of plates. So it was less in the beginning. Now it's more <laughs> full blown addicts. It's that good. Welcome back to Local Fairy Tales. I'm still your narrator, Nora Vetter, introducing you to Local Fair, F-A-R-E, that's only found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Listen in as the voices of those that know it well, historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, and other local fair experts tell the tales of local fair as only they can. Today's featured fair is The Garbage Plate. Interviews were recorded between March 2022 and August 2022, and editing took a little longer than I would have liked. But you just heard Mike Thunder Warren, creator of the Trash Plate Central Facebook page, speak about why he's known as the Plate Guy. Now, let's meet the rest of our Garbage Plate Tale Tellers. I am Matthew Backless, administrator of the Serious Garbage Plate Lovers Facebook group. Julie Camargo, CEO owner of Zweigels in Rochester, New York. Rachel Labor, director of communications and public relations for Visit Rochester. Alexander Nicholas Tahu, owner of Nick Tahu Hot, home of the Garbage Plate. Mike Thunderworn, and you're listening to the listening to the local the local fairy tale local fairy tale of the garbage plate fairy tale of the garbage plate tale of the garbage plate. Did you know? Local Fairy Tales is an independent podcast run by a whopping team of one person. Yes, that would be me, your narrator, Nora Vetter. A lot of work goes into assembling each episode, and your support via word-of-mouth recommendation, podcast review, and or a follow and interaction on the Local Fairy Tales podcast Instagram or Facebook page is greatly appreciated. If you want to take your support a step further, consider a donation to the tip jar. You can find the tip jar link in each episode description. Donations will go towards a monthly Zoom subscription, a new hard drive to back up audio, fueling an editing session with a caffeinated beverage, and more. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Alexander Nicholas Tahu, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the garbage plate. Unlike many people think, a garbage plate is a very organized dinner of food. People, I think, maybe are intimidated by the name. The garbage plate is, it seems complicated, but it's very simple. So basically, a plate is designed with a base, a protein, and toppings. At its core, a garbage plate is going to be a combination of some kind of like 
beans or potato, like a, a home fry or, or French fries, um, macaroni salad. So basically a garbage plate is some sort of usually potatoes, macaroni salad, or beans, or both. You get mac salad, fresh mac salad, home fries, or baked beans. The bases that we use are home fries, french fries, macaroni salad, and baked beans. They're cold baked beans, uh, by the way, the way we did it in the early 1900s. And then usually some sort of protein on top. And then it's going to be topped with a protein of your choice. So cheeseburgers, hamburgers, hot dogs. And you get a couple of cheeseburgers or hot dog, local Zweigels hot dogs is the ones they use here. And then your choice of either hots, which are hot dogs, or white hots, which is like a a white hot dog. It's a very much a Rochester thing, I think. Some people like to have it with um, a hot dog. And another Rochester food item is the Zweigel's White Hot. So here we have white hot dogs. So that's the real Rochester experience is to get a white hot dog on your garbage plate. And um, some people may have no idea what I just said, you know, but those are, if you're in Rochester, you're, you're in the know on what that means. Then you choose your protein from hots or hot dogs, red hots, or probably the most common hot dog. White hot is another unique hot dog that's in the Rochester area. A red hot, it doesn't mean it's a temperature-wise hot. It doesn't mean it's spicy. It's just really short for hot dog. It's like our slang for hot dogs is hot. So, um, in fact, some people call, if you order from like a quick service kind of hot hot dog place, they'll call it like one Texas and then one porker. So that brings me to what's the difference between a red hot dog and a white hot dog. So a red hot dog is made with pork and beef. It has cure in it, so it gives it that color red and has different spice packet. Our white hot dog is pork, beef, and veal. It has no cure whatsoever, no nitrites, not even those naturally occurring in sea salt or celery. It's 100% nitrite free and it has a different spices, so it tastes different. It's it's similar to a Weisswurst, so something you might find um, in Germany, maybe more of a breakfast type of sausage that they would eat there, but here it's a white hot dog. However, we sell one box of white hot for the whole week, so it doesn't have a big calling. Um, some people can even do like chicken fingers. I've seen vegetarian versions with grilled cheese. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, Italian sausage, chicken tenders, veggie burgers, grilled cheese plates, and fish plates, almost anything that people would want. And uh, it's starting to get into chicken fingers and uh, I don't, uh, other things like that, which I don't know, kind of taints it to me a little bit. You know, some of the items are just there for people that don't like meat. And then that whole combination is topped with onions, mustard, and what's known as a Rochester style uh, meat hot sauce. And then uh, meat sauce onions and mustard then once you're done with that you pick your toppings the spicy mustard that's the first thing that goes on spiced onions is second and then our special hot sauce of course it has to have the meat sauce number one that is the number one rule and it just kind of tops everything off and it's a must-have if you're gonna be in rochester you gotta try meat sauce meat sauce is the way it's been called in rochester now for quite a few years my father used to hate that because it just sounds terrible and meat sauce doesn't sound appealing but that's what it's become called and unfortunately we have to follow and Tell people meat sauce so they understand what they're talking about. Meat sauce, sometimes they call it uh, meat hot, 
meat hot sauce. If you say hot sauce, sometimes they just think you're talking about like Frank's Red Hot or Tabasco sauce. So this clarifies what kind of hot sauce it really is. It's ground beef, and it's not like gravy. It's like very fine ground ground beef with spices in it. A mild hamburger-based hot sauce. It has a consistency almost similar to a chili, but without the beans. It's really just the meat and the sauce. It, it also reminds me of like a Cincinnati chili, if you've ever had Cincinnati chili. That's not too far away from what the Rochester uh, meat sauce is like. It's a Greek-style meat sauce. And it's got paprika and allspice, uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, vinegar, that kind of thing. It, mixed with ground beef, really fine minced ground beef. And it's, it's almost a gravy that gets poured on top. And um, it's very oily, you know. The meat sauce is technically, it's like a Greek meat sauce. If you've ever been to like um, Greek diners, they always have this meat sauce and it's it's really hard to describe for anyone that hasn't had it. I, I don't know. I mean, you could like kind of go through some of the ingredients, but it's it's very hard to describe. That's another interesting story, too, because you'll get all kinds of people out there that say, oh, it's a Greek sauce, it's this, it's whatever. And, you know, originally the Greeks did have you know the hot sauce. You go across the country and you'll see the, the hot dog joints that all the Greeks ran and they had a, a meat-based hot sauce. But this is not a Greek hot sauce, as many people say it is. This actually is a Mexican hot sauce. And how it became our hot sauce and, and replaced the Greek sauce that my grandfather probably had when he first came here was through a Mexican who my grandfather had befriended years ago. Guy was down and out, didn't have any money, didn't have any food, no place to stay. So my grandfather took him in, gave him a place to stay, gave him a job, basically got him back on his feet and when it was time for him to move on, he was so appreciative of what my grandfather did that he left him this Mexican family hot sauce recipe. And that's our hot sauce recipe that we still use today. And if you come to Rochester and you want to try it, but you're not 100% sure, ask for it on the side. That's okay to do, too. Don't. It's not one of these things where you have to be nervous about it, but you got to try it. You have to say you've come to Rochester, you've tried a, you've tried a white hot dog, or you tried a Swaggles, you tried a garbage plate, you got to have it with the meat sauce. Yep. For me, I like to I like to see them with the meat sauce on, and I think that's the uh, signature ingredient of the dish, but there are even people that don't put meat sauce on it. So, If you get a local plate, you don't get a meat sauce, it's not a plate to me. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> There's also ketchup, mayonnaise, and relish that's available for those who care to partake in them people are really divided over ketchup on the garbage plate i do not care for ketchup on the garbage plate although i will say when i make my meat sauce i actually use ketchup in the meat sauce so maybe that's maybe that's why because it, it you need just some sweetness to it but not a ton but other people will swear by the ketchup to me it's like a it's sacrilegious to put ketchup on it, but I'm not even from Rochester. So what do I know? And I douse the whole thing in ketchup. I mix it all up. And um, yeah, that's my favorite. But there's other people that don't want ketchup on their plate. I think people like to eat the way they like to eat. So, you know, if you like seafood, you eat seafood. If you don't like seafood, you don't eat seafood. Uh, it's basically self-designed plates. You know, you, you, again, you pick from the bases, the protein, and the toppings and put it together the way you want. And it comes served with a piece of bread. The plate comes standard with a side of uh, Italian bread and butter. It also comes with the two pieces of Italian bread and butter. You get two pieces of bread, 
And the proper way to do this is you eat your plate, you take the bread at the end and sop up anything left on the plate. That is the standard in case there's anything left when you're done to sop it up, I think. But that's it. I see people eating the bread during the, while they're eating a plate and that's wrong. You all want to get up there and say, wrong, it's at the end. You got to sop up your grease. <laughs> but yeah, keep my mouth shut. And it's really organized. I mean, if you look at the plate, there's the home fries on one half of the plate, macaroni salad on the other. The protein is put on top of the home fry so it doesn't make the cold macaroni salad hot. And then the toppings are put over the uh, protein. So it's well organized. However, you can chop it up any way you want it. If you picture just taking a fork and a knife and really, truly just digging in, that's kind of how you have to go about a garbage plate. Okay, so I've had a recent um, revelation, if you will. I've been going out with a lot of my friends from work, getting out at the same time. We all go get plates now. They come along with me. And every one of them cuts it all up, cuts, you know, gets a knife and fork, cuts the whole thing up. And so every bite is the same. You get a piece of hamburger, some mac salad, some home fries or tater tot, and the meat sauce. Everybody's slightly different of how they eat it, I think. But I tried to get a little bit of all the flavors all onto one fork and eat it that way. So I don't know if there's a debate over it, but I think everyone does attack it in their own way. Um, I've seen people mix it all up at once. I'm more of a pick through kind of guy. I start cutting the burger first um, and then digging down to get to what I want in that particular bite. Some people are very particular, I think, about mixing it up. But And they said I was doing it wrong. I My approach is I dig into the plate always first to the mac salad. Got to be covered in meat sauce. It's outstanding. Then I go over and I, I dabble in the uh, potato of choice. And then I eat some meat, you know, a little bit of the hamburger or the hot dog. Then I go back to the mat sales. I have little areas I can go to to treat your taste buds to something different each bite where they have the same. I mean, it, it's the same, I guess, but they have the same experience every single bite. And I, I don't know. I kind of like to change it up. You know, that, that again is totally up to the person, too. I mean, some people like to eat all of one item first and all of another sec item and then, you know, the hamburgers or the hot dogs. Some people mix it. You know, some you see people that they'll take it and they'll chop it all up. It's a lot of food. Most people can go two meals with it. They'll leave with half, eating half of it. Yeah, it's a lot of food. They are big. I mean, it's a lot of food. So I like to share a plate with someone. The average plate weighs about two pounds. I'd say the hot dogs are six to a pound, and there's two hot dogs on the plate, so that's a sixth of a pound right there. And then you've got, let's say, probably half pound of macaroni, half pound of home fries. And then the mustard, onion, and hot sauce, they don't weigh that much. And if you want to count the weight of the bread and butter, too, then you're getting up there a little bit. I love getting my garbage plate in a styrofoam container with, with a lid. You know, the, and now that's gone. Um, recently, though, I've heard that New York State might be outlawing them. Obviously, it's styrofoam's bad for the environment. But traditionally, it is served inside of a large styrofoam clamshell. Um, and that is the only way, as far as I'm concerned, to eat it. Somebody will ask the question, is, you know, how is a garbage plate served? And more and more often, almost all the time, they'll tell you it's served in a styrofoam container or you know, something like that, a container similar to that. We can't use styrofoam in New York anymore, so it's a just a hinge, hinge lid container. But the actual garbage plate is served on an eight and three quarter inch fiber plate. Chinette brand was one that we used for years, and actually we're using Chinette now. They're very, you've probably seen them, they're kind of a thick plate. They're not a real thin plate. I mean, you can, it'll hold up to the food. The, uh, the hinge lid containers, those are for takeout only. 
unless somebody comes in and says, I'd like to eat here, but could you put it in the takeout container because I'm going to take it home with me. You're not going to eat it all. Oh, gosh. I mean, the only thing to not do is to not try one. Because if you don't try it, you'll never know if you like it. You, you have to try it to get it. You know what I mean? And don't be scared by the name, I guess. I'm Rachel Labor, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of The Garbage Plate. It said that back in 1918 was when they first made a, um, I believe it was called like a hots and beans plate. And they really com- combined, you know, like I said, the baked beans, hot dogs, um, and started to kind of create the garbage plate. The original garbage plate that started in the early 1918 in uh, Rochester, New York, was a hot dog plate. And they call hots in Rochester hot dogs or hot, called hots. It was actually called Texas hots back then. So it was a Texas hot plate, two hot dogs, home fries cold baked beans, two pieces of Italian bread and butter, and then it was served with toppings of spicy mustard, spiced onions, and a meat-style hot sauce. Yep, it started in 1918 at Nick Tahu's, right here in Rochester, by Alex Tahu, and that was on Main Street. And My grandfather, Alex, had it originally. He started the business in 1918. Plus, it's, it's only 50 feet away from where it originally started, too. So in 103 years, we've only been 50 feet apart in two different buildings. So he started the place. He came here from Greece at first, Ellis Island, and then Syracuse from there and then into Rochester. Opened the restaurant, and it was called West Main, Texas Hot. Back in the days, I mean, even like my father, it took him two years before he could even get have the ability to come and immigrate to the United States. You had to have a sponsor. You had to have a job. You had to have a place to live, even if your father was here. And uh, so that's the way it was. The other other people needed sponsorships. My father would sponsor him. You know, he's got the rest of his relatives over here. Actually, most of them went to work for him when they came here. And uh, many of them are, are still out there. Their families are still running restaurants that weren't Nick Tahu's, but were started. You know, my grandfather, my father brought them over here, and they got their start at Nick's. When my father took the business over, yeah, in the early 40s when my grandfather passed away, he called it Nick Tahu's Texas Hots. Then, probably because Texas Hots is actually a trademarked item uh, originally of the Armor, Hot Dog Armor Packing Company. I think they've let it expire over the years, and now it's more of a common name. But probably due to that, my father changed the name to Nick Tahu's. It wasn't even Nick Tahu's Hots. The official name was Nick Tahu's. And that's back probably in 1968 when he moved into the building that we're in today. So how we date back to the like garbage plate, there was a company called Tobin's and a competitor of Zweigel's. There was a few of them out there. The original hot dog was a hot dog called our Pico Hots. They, be, they were taken over by a company called Tobin's, Tobin Packing Company that was on Maple Street in Rochester. And they, they were one of the biggest buyers of hot dogs in most consistent supplier of hot dogs at the time. So they eventually sold to a company out of Chicago. And while the company tried to service the Rochester area, they weren't able to keep up, keep the product up or even keep the same uh, quality of product. So we around, we'll say early 70s, perhaps. Oh, Zweigel, let's see. I would say probably in the, somewhere in the 70s. Um, is when my grandfather worked with Nick Tahoe. Uh, Alex's dad, and they made a connection. In the 90s, we actually had our own private label hot dog. 
It was made by a company called Conti Packing, and we purchased from them with our brand name and label on it until they sold to another company, and that other company lasted a few years, and then they closed the doors. And we had a few other companies that we tried, and probably back, I'm trying to think, late 90s, we switched back to Zweibels again, and we've been using them ever since. And that's how he, we ended up becoming what is known as now the hot dog of the garbage plate. 1918, it went all the way to the early 80s before it got the name. It's always been around. It was just something that people ate. And, you know, at that, at that time in its history, it wasn't a, a big deal. I mean, people on, on the menu were called hots and potatoes. So you'd get people would come in and they'd say, give me an order of hots and potatoes. Yeah, they called it like hots and potatoes or uh, hots and, let's see, hots and potats was another one they called it. P.O. dash tots, you know, hots and potatoes. So, yeah. A lot of people ate it because it was an inexpensive plate. They gave you a lot of food. And if you were a hardworking person that maybe was only eating once a day, you know, this would fill all your needs. Local legend says that it was sometime in the 1980s that some local college students who'd perhaps have been out on, on the town for the evening and had been indulging in an adult beverage or two, uh, went to Nick Tahoe Hots, which is located right in downtown Rochester on Main Street, and ordered, quote, the plate with all the garbage on it. It was the drunk college kids that said, throw the garbage on there. Give me one of those garbage plates. But the actual way it became a garbage plate was due to the fact that we in the, in the 80s, we started to do a lot of college trade. Before then, it used to be mostly working people and people that were out after after hours. We used to be open 24 hours a day. So we, in the 80s, we started to pick up a lot of different college trade. Well, they'd come in a lot of times late at night, and they'd see somebody with a plate. And they had no idea what the heck it was. You know, They just saw it, and it looked good to them. So they would say, give me one of those plates with all that garbage on it. Later on, they started to shorten it without saying, give me one of those plates with the garbage on it. They say, just give me a garbage plate. Well, I can remember my father thought it was terrible. You know, it's, it's, it's food. Don't call it that. It's not, not appealing. It doesn't make you want to eat. And it was through the 80s that he had the name going. So in the 90s, it became trademarked. And it was, you know, legally and officially a garbage plate, even though from the 80s, it just picked up that name. And we kind of went along with it calling it what everybody else was calling it. The folks at Nick Tahoe smartly uh, trademarked the term garbage plate. My father did it because he was basically told that, you know, if you didn't do it, somebody else could go and trademark it and they could make you stop using it yourself. So when you were in Rochester, New York, or anywhere in the United States, you will only be able to find one true authentic garbage plate. I tell people you, you go to Nick Tahoe's, get a plate, then you understand what has to be on it. And anywhere else you go is a copy of it. But imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And it is not uncommon to see a version of a Rochester plate or a trash plate. Trash plate, incinerator plate, junker plate, refuse plate. It's it, And if you were out of town, like people listening to this podcast would think we're, we're nuts. But, but it's become generic, you know, just like Xerox copy, uh, Kleenex tissues, you know, garbage plate now doesn't, you know, where... Yes, we started it, but people don't see it as being the only garbage plate. So you can find everything from um, sushi garbage plates, totally vegan plates. There's plates, some restaurants will do like higher end, like Kobe beef burgers. I mean, there's so many dessert garbage plates. There's so many different takes on it. But again, the original was from Nick Tahoe's. That's the hard part is that if they do go somewhere and it's a good plate, that's great. But if they go somewhere and it's a bad plate, then it's a bad reflection on garbage plates all over. 
And it's, it's, it's hard to control that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where like the first time I think you have it, you have to have like that picture perfect textbook version of it. Otherwise, it's something that might turn you off from it from the rest of the time that you would ever try to eat it. We own the trademark. We're the only garbage plate. If you, if you didn't eat one at Nick Tao's, you haven't had a garbage plate. I'm Matthew Backless, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the garbage plate. I was living in Buffalo, and I ended up having to work about 15 years ago out in Rochester on a project. So I was driving out there every day and uh, a guy said, hey, what do you want to do for lunch? He's like, I know this place. It's right across the street. Uh, we'll go get garbage plates. And I'm just like, sure, whatever. I don't even know what the heck that is. So he took me over there on my first day and we got one. And I ended up eating there the rest of the week. Every single time I was in Rochester, I would just, I was just like, that, this is it. Like, this is one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. I'm just going to eat this every day. And I did. I ate it for the rest of the week. And then um, from there on out, Whenever I would have to go through Rochester, I'd be like, oh, I'm stopping to get a plate. It was sort of like a, it was a kind of a Sunday. It was what we did on Sunday. So I always compare people who are Italian and say, I mean, I am too, but they would do Sunday sauce. I would go to all the hot places with my family, with my grandfather. And that's what we did. And so my grandfather, he would kind of just be talking with the owners of the restaurants and he would talk about the quality of the hot dog. Was everything okay? How was the, you know, was the taste okay? He would ask questions about the quality of the product. He'd want to find out, you know, he'd probably even ask about the delivery and all of those things because he just cared so deeply about the product. But then is also appreciative of the people that purchased Weigel's. And so he was there patronizing the restaurant. And that was important for him too, making sure that he, you know, he went around to the different places and we went as a family. <laughs> that was what we did as a family. All my, you know, my grandfather, my dad, they would all have, you know, garbage plates back in the day. And of course I remember because it had onions. And so as a kid, I would, you know, it had the really strong, wrong breath after the fact, but it was what we did on Sundays. And so at some point it was like, yeah, I think I want one of those too, you know, and all, I always, I always had it with hot dogs. So, yeah. So growing up, in the Rochester area, I think I had my first garbage plate when I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. And a couple of friends and I went to, uh, to Nick Tahoe's and ordered our plates. And I knew it was, it's almost like a rite of passage. You know, I knew that it was uh, a Rochester item and, uh, I think I thought it was delicious. I remember my first plate, I was 13 and I went to have a plate so I could be cool. That was, that was it. I want to be cool. I want to be hip. Oh, they're all having these plates. So I went to the old location, sat down, had a plate instantly, instantly, instantly hooked immediately. Could not believe how good it was. So I was 13. It's kind of like when you get a little bit older, you cannot leave and head off to college. If you're from Rochester, if you haven't had a true garbage plate yet, it's like this little rite of passage. You have to have had a garbage plate somewhere, somehow. Do not leave Rochester. Do not pass go. You must have that experience at some point. And if you definitely don't have it before you leave for high school, you have to have it when you come back from college for sure. But it's such a unique tradition to our area. And then you just talk to anybody here. Everybody. I realized doing my page, Trash Plate Central, that the garbage plate is huge. It's like an under, it's like Fight Club. Everybody knows what it is, but you're not, you don't talk about it. 
And then once they, they see me, everybody's got stories and it's like everybody, you know, you think there's not a lot of people. It's everybody, everybody, men, women, little kids, you know, all denominations. I found it so, it's so cool. It's everybody. I have to say, I, when I recently got, I recently got married and, um, we had them. We tried to recreate the garbage plates out of the wedding. So there you go. Wasn't the same because it wasn't at a hot place, but we definitely did that. So so I was like, I'll start a garbage plate page and just see, you know, just invite some people and we'll talk about them and make pictures. And it was kind of more of a, you know, just a goofing around type of thing. And then it uh, it's grown to a couple hundred people and people just post pictures of their plates and it's serious garbage plate lovers. And it's a public group. Anyone can join. I, uh, Eating a plate every day, I, I told my girlfriend, you know what? I eat a plate every day. I should do a page just to chronicle my adventures. He loves them. Like, I, lo- I love them. Like, I'll get them as much as I can, but I don't know if I could eat one every day. You know what I mean? So he's just super into it. Yeah, the plate guy. I always bring meat sauce everywhere I go. I have jars in my glove box, so I'm never without. <laughs> I kind of knew it was like a regional thing, but I didn't realize how localized it was. You do get the curious people, but I would say a good 90%, if not more, have a tie to Rochester. Either have lived here, know somebody here, have tried it. Because once you try it, you're it's it's really, you get it. Yeah, there's definitely that uh, um, group of people that have, have since moved away from the area that, that missed it and would love to... Uh, probably come back and eat all of them whenever we post pictures. So um, I've kind of always known that, that it was a local thing because um, I forget sometimes we go, we went to Buffalo where the, uh, the bills play, we're right on the same property and there's a, a hot dog place. So we were in there and we said, Hey, can we get a couple of garbage plates? And the girl looked at us, this isn't too long ago and said garbage. And I'm going, Oh, are you kidding? We call them dry cities. I go, are you kidding me? Then we'll take a couple of white hots. And she didn't know what that was. And the guy peeks his head through the little cooking window, the cook's window, and said, Rochester, huh? And I go, yeah. I go, come on, man. So we went home empty-handed. Not fun. I don't know if I truly recognized it till I was really back in Rochester full time and appreciated it. But I do know in college, you know, when you have those late night eating and you want to go out with your friends and there was no hot places. There wasn't places like that that you could go to, at least where I went to school, because I didn't go to school in uh, in Rochester and sort of thinking like, oh, that would be so great if we had that right now. And wouldn't, you know, I think this, like, I think this area would really like that. But I'd have to say, you know, coming back, you know, after college and then living outside of Rochester for a little while and coming back, I think that's truly when I appreciated the uniquenesses of Rochester that we have here, the garbage plate definitely being one of them. And I always like to say that, you know, a garbage plate, it's, it really is the perfect, in my opinion, representation of Rochester, because stay with me here. You take these ingredients that on their own don't seem like they'd be so appealing together, but when you mix it all up and you, you combine these different ingredients, 
you get something that's actually really tasty and delicious. And I think that kind of speaks to here in Rochester, it just, you know, we're a, such a diverse community. And when you take all the different parts of our community and you put us all together, we're really better together than we are on our own. So that's my Miss America view of the garbage plate and how it, you know, it really is a symbolism for like, you know, uniting as a community and, you know, coming together. And I think that's very true for all the elements of the traditional garbage plate. We're in the heart of downtown Rochester. So it was basically a melting pot business. We had every kind of race and type of person. You know, you'd see police and street people and everybody at the same time. And every walk of life, suits to ragged clothes. In the 1960s, when we had riots downtown, I remember my father saying that the police and the rioters were sitting side by side with each other. And, you know, then they'd go outside and, you know, one riot and then try to be protected. And they actually protected the place. I mean, that. My father was able to operate straight through any of the disturbances and never had any troubles. Just we had, we had a lot of respect. People gave him a lot of respect. And, you know, we did a, a lot of business with people that, that uh, didn't have any money. And, you know, we, we've always fed the people. And nobody ever comes in the Nicktow who's hungry and goes out hungry. And that's been something that my father and grandfather started for years, and we still do it to today. Our customers are family, and they all know that. It's nice to talk to Alex himself right at Nick Tahoe's. He, he owns, it's, it's his business and he's, he's always got some great stories. He's a fun gentleman. They're very busy, but he's fun to talk to. We used to have a group of old guys that would come in every morning. They'd drink coffee. They were retired guys, construction guys for the most part. They would drink coffee and sit in the West end of the restaurant and they would all talk. And my office was right outside where they were talking. And it was funny because you'd listen to them and they'd be telling all the stories about how many girlfriends they had and the best way to get to Florida. And there was a guy called Bookman. I always thought he did books, you know, like uh, gambling. Well, come to find out, he's Bookman because he's the one that takes care of all the, the times that there's an argument over what's right. He goes out to his car, and he probably had 60, 70 books in the trunk, and he would bring the book out to set everybody straight so that they couldn't say, Oh, no, you know, you're right, you're wrong. And he was a great guy. Just all these old guys were just, you know, they became like like grandfathers. Just a really nice. But most of those old guys are gone now. And it's pretty sad because they were really just there every day. I mean, I, I think their wives kicked them out of the house so they had nowhere to go but come down to see us. But And I just feel so grateful that I get to be a part of something that, bring smiles to people's faces and creates memories for people. So when you, you know, when you eat as Weigel's, when you're going to have a garbage plate, you're going with your friends or you're going with your colleagues at work and you're having like a great, you're having a good time and you're having just good conversation and you kind of like are just enjoying yourselves. It's, it's a fun time. With the pandemic, if it wasn't for the regular people and the local neighbors and friends that we have, we probably wouldn't even be here today like so many restaurants aren't here today. Julie Camardo, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the garbage fleet. You know, the celebrities, people that come to Rochester for shows or concerts or different things, they Google like, what's special in Rochester, what's special to eat, you'll come up with a garbage plate. With all the food channel, travel channel exposure that we've had over the years, the, uh, the people that come into Rochester who have seen it on any of the network shows come to us unless you know they go to a friend's house 
and that friend is partial to some other copycat place, the ones that come in because they saw garbage play on one of the national shows comes to us, which is nice because that traveling person and or group of people is something else that can, has been able to keep us going. You know, it's interesting. I think more so in working in the tourism arena, I've learned that it's not so much people don't realize it. It's one of the top things people ask about. You know, it's like something that they'll come across and, and they'll hear about this thing, the garbage plate, and then it really piques their interest. And, you know, we, for the last, gosh, four years or so, you know, we track on our website, the most visited pages on visitrochester.com. And month after month, without fail, no matter the season, no matter what else is going on, we have a blog post that's called our guide to the garbage plate. And it is consistently in the top 10 most visited pages on our website every single month. So, you know, you got to give the people what they want. It's definitely had an impact. I mean, the, if you talk to anybody from the visitor's center, one of the biggest questions they're asked is about garbage plates. I mean, people come from all over. They come in and they're looking at the menu and you know they don't know what the heck they're talking about or looking at. And you sit down and explain it to them and tell them, okay, so the original garbage plate was hot dogs, cold beans, home fries, and then the toppings. Uh, the most common plate today, 30% of our sales, is the cheeseburger plate with the microwave sale to the home fries. And then you explain the four sides, the toppings, tell them that they can, they can combine the plate if they want. So if they want to do a hot dog and a cheeseburger, they could do it that way. And then you wait to hear what they say. And then you know, a lot of people, well, I don't know, how's the sauce? Is it real hot? Nope, again, to some people, it's real hot. To some people, it's mild. To some people, it's not even hot. So you just suggest to them, well, do you like mustard and onions? Yeah. All right, so we'll do the plate with mustard and onions and sauce on the side. So that way they can taste test it. If they don't like it, they don't have to use it. And if they like it, it's right there. And uh, for the most part, everybody likes There are um, like some celebrities. So Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, has taken a real liking to the garbage plate. And he'll tweet about it and he posts about it. He's done some, you know, he, he plays Rochester somewhat frequently. So anytime he talks about it, we see like a, a spike in interest there too. Jim Gaffigan, a big comedian, did the, probably a third of his show on on Garbage Place. The first time he came into town, he stopped in at like midnight. And uh, the next day he featured, you know, he just, he, he had a whole, I'll tell you, he was funny as that too, but, you know, he, he just, he thought it was a great thing. He's even got, if you go online, you can see a, uh, him making garbage plates for his family. Oh yeah, I've made them quite a few times. Um, there's a bunch of tips. For me, I, I've done it completely from scratch, just about to the point where, you know, I cut my own potatoes up into home fries and fried those up in a pan first. And obviously using fresh ingredients, I think is gonna be a big thing. Grilling your patties like on a grill is, is a great idea if you're doing hamburgers or, or hot dogs, you know, same, same difference. But to me, the big component that so many people get wrong is in the most important thing to me is that meat sauce we're gonna we've got one guy that's ready to be licensed to sell the product in quite a few stores we just have to be able to have the hot sauce made where it's acceptable with the commercial processing they have to add a preservative to it to make it shelf stable and unfortunately the preservatives makes the sauce sour there's quite a few sauces out there in the market but if you buy them you're going to find out that they've got a very sour taste to it they don't they, None of them can compete with ours for flavor because ours doesn't have the preservative in it. We've used three different companies now to try to produce the product, but 
with the number of years we've been here, people know our sauce, and it is just nowhere near our sauce. So now I have to find somebody that can do it fresh frozen. So if anybody's out there that, that processes hot sauce, give us a call, and that way we can have it. Did I make any garbage plates during the COVID time frame? I want to say there was probably one time, but it's not the same. It is so much better, even making sometimes hot dogs. You know, I it's just different when you go out to a place and you have you know, the actual plate and there's something about it, something about going to Hot's place, the way they cook it, the atmosphere, the people behind the counter. It's just such a, like a cool kind of fun experience. It's very different than at home. As far as the future of Dick Tahoe's goes, it will probably be personally run in the hands of other people. Uh, everybody in our family has got full-time careers. You got nurses, fire department, ambulance, high tech company people, uh, locksmiths, but our family will always own the trademark names. That's a kind of a memorial to what my family has done. As far as the Main Street location, we've got a couple buyers interested in the building and a few people interested in renting from whoever buys the building. One of the guys has done Santa Claus for us for quite a few years, so his family grew up in the place too, so it would be kind of like the perfect match because he's got very fond memories and He's quality and he cares about people. I'll never forget the first year we did the Christmas party. We had about 300 kids and he only did it to fill in because the guy that was going to do it couldn't do it. So this guy did it for us and he said, I want to tell you one thing. He said, if you ever do this again, he said, I'm doing it. And that was 14 years ago and he's done it every year except the two COVID years. 16 years ago. Wow, it's even longer. And uh, he said that he and his family both grew so much from being here doing those Christmas parties and you know, realizing how well off they were and how bad so many people are. You know, and in the earlier years when things were easier, people would be opening the presents there. In the tough years, they weren't opening them. They were bagging them and taking them home because that's all they were going to get. His kids went home that first year and said, told the, the mother and father that they would be willing to give all their presents to the kids in the city because now we know how bad it is. That's pretty good when you've got eight and nine-year-old kids that are willing to give up their presents. So that would probably be the best is for him to continue downtown and already have some business coming in and, and he can make it grow. He's younger. I'm 23 for the third time, so I'm ready. As soon as I could push a cart, I think I started working there. So And we'd go in with my father and, uh, you know, I was the dish boy, so I'd pick up all the tables. I remember there was a, we had a big steel cart, two wheels that steered on the front and two in the back that were solid and then two trays, and if you pushed it the wrong way, which I did one day, the top tray would slide off, and back then we used china glasses and a, a plastic plate, but the china glasses obviously didn't stay together when they fell off the cart, and I remember I thought I was going to get killed for dumping the whole cart of cups on the ground, but that's my, I'll never forget that, because I thought, uh-oh, I'm done. So it's been a lot of fun, but it's time. It's amazing now, you know, with with rumors out there that we're going to close, and that is how many people keep telling me how much they're going to miss me, and you know, people that you would never think would care. Well, it's a great tribute to the whole family. And that is the local fairy tale of the garbage plate. More information about the garbage plate and the garbage plate tale tellers can be found at local fairy f a r e y. 
tales, T-A-L-E-S dot com. And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your tales about the garbage plate or other local fair. And if you don't know much about your local fair, ask. There are tale tellers everywhere. Sturdy plates filled with gratitude to Matthew Backless, Julie Camardo, Rachel Labor, Alex Tahoe, and Mike Thunder Warren for sharing their time and garbage plate knowledge. Concept, production, and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts.